one of the, I mean, the thing that this last point has me thinking about, and you named it a little bit, is prestige. I mean, what I think is going on here is there's been, I think there's simultaneously been like a huge appetite and a huge belief in value in the idea of public education and also the myth, also people getting angry and upset and feeling a legitimate sense of disillusion around the idea of a better name college is going to be, is somehow better automatically. Welcome back to The Broken Copier, a conversation about teaching. On today's show, Marcus and I are going to reconnect from our last pod all the way back in October. Marcus, I think that says something a little bit about our schedules and and being full-time teachers. But uh, first of all, it's good to see you, Marcus. <laughs> I know. It's a happy New Year. Let's just happy start New there. Year. Yeah, we're, we're going to do all the things except for break talk. I'm sure people are kind of fed up with hearing some of the break talk. No, my, uh, my question to, for you, real quick: Have yeah. you physically written the year twenty twenty four yet? Because I feel like that's a really a line of demarcation for me. If like I've I had to like, write, it. okay, but I physically had to write it on a signature for a letter of recommendation, and I looked uh, at that number for a while. I'm like, okay. yeah, it didn't really set in until I wrote down that number fully yeah. in handwriting. I have a dentist appointment coming up. I feel like I might have to do it then, but you know, it's it's been a while. Happy twenty twenty four. Same to you. Uh, and the last time we talked, we were talking about uh, the cost of college. Uh, there was a lot of that going on in the news then and a little bit. If you've been paying attention to the news, there's some college stuff going on now. So we're going to reconnect with a little uh, with that conversation and just talk through, um, you know, some of the things that, that are on our mind in the second semester. Uh, so before we get into that, I got a, a bell ringer question for you, Marcus, as is tradition here or becoming tradition. Uh, you ready? Go for it. What is something that you are hoping to see from students in their exams coming up or something that you would be proud to see show up in their work at this point in the year? So we have about, in terms of where we are at in our school year, we go until the end of January before it's a new semester. So we're really, you know, we're about to hit some like culminating things, some like essays and writing skills that we've been working on in the next couple of weeks. But honestly, for me, it's what I'm looking for is we have these portfolios that I've talked about before on uh, this platform where they're throughout the semester reflecting. Here is how I like my process for each assessment and each writing task. Here are my takeaways after looking at feedback. And we spent a lot of time with that. And that's one document that's just been sitting in their folder that I've had access to. We've been communicating on from the very start of the year. And I'm really looking for our final lesson is we pull up that document and we we almost close read their own reflections. And my goal is by the time they end the course in June, that they feel that they're a stronger writer. And I so at this halfway point, I really am curious how they see themselves as writers. And of course, I'm optimistic. I feel really good about it. But I think so often we kind of presume we know how students feel about themselves. 
And these documents and these reflections that I've done the last couple of years have really opened my eyes that sometimes how I see students isn't always how they see themselves, especially Mm -hmm. as writers. And Mm -hmm. I'm really curious and excited to have some conversations where we really dive into those reflections and spend some time, not just me and them, but they're collaborative in our classroom. So it's almost like a closing seminar based 100% on self-reflection, which is, uh, like I said, really excited for. So yeah, that's for me. What about you? That's great. I love that a lot. Um, I think a lot of discrete writing skill stuff, kind of like you mentioned, there's templates uh, and some sentence stems. I'm a big fan of they say, I say. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the pod yet before, but um, so some of that stuff, just, I don't know, similarly seeing kids build their own confidence uh, in their writing abilities, both in like a timed environment or an essay that, you know, maybe they care a little bit more about and have taken more time with. Um, yeah, confidence, I think at this point is the thing that I'm really looking for. Um, all right. Well, Today, we have a a bit of a different episode uh, that I'm pretty excited for. We've never done this before. Um, As we think about where we last were in October with college um, and some of the ways that high school, or maybe not even just high school, but K-12 classrooms can tie into it. Um, We had a listener send in some audio. Uh, We're going to work through the audio in some pieces and just react because Adrian, you sent us in this audio clip, which is really thoughtful and, and brings, brings up a lot of really good questions that I think tie in really well. So number one, thank you for sending this in. And we're going to just spend some time with it today, um, diving in and, and responding a little bit to once you sent us. So, uh, Marcus, does that sound, you ready for that? Are you good to go? Yeah. I, I hope this is just something for us. You know, the, we had something else planned. We spent yeah. some time looking at this and we're like, there's an entire episode worth of things to talk about. And that's because of the thoughtfulness of this message. We're going to deal with it in pieces and then talk about those pieces. Uh, but also, of course, this is something that we'd like to do more of going forward in terms of really making this a responsive podcast in the same way that we want our classrooms to be responsive. So uh, I'm really excited about today. Let's go for it. All right. So without further ado, here is uh, here's the start of Adrian's clip. Hello, my name is Adrian Iabauer, and I teach the fifth grade in a public school district in Colorado. And I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. The first is that as a public school teacher, I'm finding it increasingly more challenging to engage students in my classroom. The more teachers I speak to, everyone feels that it does have something to do with the pandemic and students in school post-pandemic. I find it very interesting to have conversations with students about the value of education and the value of their schooling experience. But many students, especially by the time they get to fifth grade, before they go to junior high school, are becoming disillusioned with the quality of their educational experience in elementary school. All right. So this is the first, this is the first spot where I think we can just pause and talk. What did you think, Marcus, when you uh, first heard this point here. I feel like, well, first of all, it's just a really good framing of a topic that I think we talk about at times that it's all over education, like the word engagement. Uh, I guess for me, the first question that I always think of when I hear points like this raised is how to find the right balance between taking ownership of the level of engagement in my classroom 
versus the worry that if it's all about engagement, if I'm spending time planning for engagement, there's 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 something there's a cost there too, right? Like it, at some point, there's only a fixed amount of time, and I worry sometimes that I found myself like over planning for engagement to meet students where they're at, which I feel like is the right thing. But then I know also that that also comes at a cost in terms of my time that I would apply to other places. I don't know. Does that track as like an immediate reaction? Like, what are your thoughts thinking about this? I think so. Um, I'll share them in just a sec. But I, I so I have a, a question, not really like to yeah. not pushing back necessarily, but it's when you say planning for engagement, do you see that as separate from planning for like, what are the other things that you plan for that are not engagement? Great follow up. Uh, I guess my first way to respond to that is that, of course, in practice, it all blends. But mm-hmm. I think I know. And everyone's time, engaged maximally all the time, right? Of no, course. Just in, in, in practice, <laughs> no, sorry, my apologies. I'm in kidding. In practice, in my planning, yeah. you're doing these different things of like, oh, I'm incorporating like this, you know, feedback. We're like building these learning strategies. Okay, we're trying to amplify engagement. Oh, this will be a really hands-on activity. Right. We have these collaborative conversations. Like, yes, it all kind of gets blended together. But I know at times where I've seen where students are at, I've even done surveys. And you and I have talked a lot about surveys, considering I've stolen your survey method to great effect. So thank you, by the way. You're welcome. Uh, But like where you know that the the kids need that engagement. We need to have some intentional activities. So a very concrete example, coming off a break, I knew after two, you know, two and a half weeks off, we're going to like, I spent about an hour cutting up pieces of paper for them to do like a matching exercise where it was a little competition amongst groups to recap their learning from before break. Like, yes, there was learning involved there, but that was what I would say, like very much intentionally meant to meet students at an engagement level to help mm-hmm. bring them back into the class. And I think in my mind, at least, and maybe I'm weird and different, which I know I am at times, uh, I'm sometimes thinking, okay, my priority, maybe that's the right word, is building engagement and interaction for this part of the lesson versus other parts of the lesson. And I think I worry sometimes of like, if I'm all the time trying to meet students, and I think of teachers I see trying to like, you know, do the TikTok thing, like trying to make their lesson like super like, digitally engaged, like Kahoot, et cetera. I'm not criticizing that, but I feel like if you lean so far, yeah, I, there to a degree I am, I don't ever Uh go to that route, but again, each their own. But my broader point is that I worry a little bit about pushing too far Mm -hmm. and not the norm being that students need to like, their job is to be engaged regardless of the context. And I I don't feel like I agree with that either, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure where I am in between. That's the best way of articulating it. I think, yeah, this is, I mean, we're, we're only on the first uh, of three major points here. So there's, there's definitely a lot to unpack. I think my quick thoughts on this are around like, don't something that I pushed myself in the last few years to think about even before pandemic, but certainly I've been thinking about it a lot since remote instruction is trying to not think of engagement and like content level activities or instruction as mutually exclusive. Like that sets to me, like I feel like that can be a dangerous type of 
mindset that I have seen played out. And I've even done things like, oh, like used even language. It's like, okay, well, now this is going to actually be more fun. Or like there are certainly times within a lesson, especially in a high school English classroom where it's like, all right, read this thing independently on your own for 15 minutes. And like a kid might find that boring. Um, But it's, I don't want, I don't want everything should at least feel purposeful. And I think there's a lot of engagement that can come through that. So there's been plenty of days when I've left and thought to myself, like, am I getting students up out of their seats enough and walking around? And are we doing like collaborative stuff or hands-on stuff enough? Cause it can be real easy in a high school English classroom to just not do that. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't have any good answers for it other than like the engagement piece needs to be intentionally planned for. But I also would push this. I would also push, especially secondary teachers to be thinking about the most engaging, like the reasons why the content is engaging. Like you, if you start with a really cool question or a really thought provoking thing, students will be engaged. Uh, even, you know, even if it's not necessarily the most eye popping TikTok trendy sort of thing. So that's sort of, that's one of my first thoughts. The other thought that I had listening to this though, that struck me was I have students in high school who often will tell me, and we even have a unit on AP Lang around like the value of education and what's education supposed to do. But it just sort of made me sad to hear from a a teacher who teaches younger students, right? Fifth grade students and entering into junior high that even then their students are questioning the value of education. I mean, when I think of fifth, it's been a long time since I've been in fifth grade or I've even interacted with fifth grade students. But like when I taught middle school, even through eighth grade in Arkansas, no eighth, like very few eighth, it it never really crossed my mind or what felt to me like my eighth graders mind that education actually had no purpose or diminishing purpose or diminishing, like even if eighth grade students didn't like coming to school, there was a pretty unanimous belief that school was important. And to hear of fifth graders starting to question that, I don't know, that's a little worrisome to me. What do you think? Yeah. For a thing, I'm glad to, to, have confirmation that it's been a long time since you've been in fifth grade for both of yeah. us for the first one. Uh, second, I think maybe this should, your response probably should have been our first reaction was that we have a fifth grade teacher talking about their students talking mm-hmm. about being disillusioned with education, like right. flashing red lights. And I, I, now that I'm like, I can't even get words to articulate my reaction to that. Like, again, it's sad. It's, it's, I'm alarmed. It doesn't surprise me in some ways. I, I'm wondering a little bit about how much pointing to the pandemic and its impact on education is the right answer or if the trend line was already established. I also think it makes me think about something that I find myself as a high school teacher struggling with is I want to be honest with students and I want to right. give them chances to talk about where they're at. And I want, when they point out rightly, the major issues in our education system, which we talk about on this podcast, right? Like they're right. <laughs> they mm-hmm. like, they're right. And they have a, when they voice these things, they're doing so with conviction, but in doing so, it can create a cynicism to 
the pragmatism of this education does have real stakes for you. And you being cynical about it might hurt your ability to achieve those stakes. So there's this authenticity versus pragmatism versus idealism versus you know nihilism that's going on here. And mm-hmm. it's not just going on in these two high school English teachers podcasts. It's happening in fifth grade classrooms. And mm-hmm. I don't know how to grapple with that other than I really appreciate the share. And I wonder how much it's connected to engagement. And I do also wonder about the pandemic related uh, connection too. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, I mean, honestly, I'm a little tired of talking about the pandemic and stuff because it just feels like we're go around in circles sometimes, but there's certainly a, di- I mean, I think there's an undeniable difference in, in classroom engagement. I think this also kind of leads to the second point that Adrian, we're about to hear from Adrian in terms of making school f- in order to make school feel valuable. Some, this is something that I say a lot. Like I wish that high school teachers and a lot of other teachers would stop framing education in terms around, well, you need this for the future. Like the more, the more that any classroom I think can be cool and interesting and useful and thought provoking now in the moment, because this content is cool to know. I think that that is a really underrated and powerful motivator. Um, And the, but I'm going to, I'm going to skip us ahead here a little bit because the other thing that impacts the, whether students think something is valuable is their grades um, and how they're graded and how they're assessed. So Adrian talks a little bit more about grading uh, as part of this problem. So we're going to, we're going to play that part next. I think grading is a big part of that. And so to my second point, as you have a student who has been pushed through the system and is now a senior in high school and looking at whether or not they want to go to college, I think, as, and I can speak personally with my own teenage kids, they're having a harder time justifying college as a sound investment. They don't see much of a return on the amount of money they would have to spend to go to college. Even a state college or community college still requires a huge amount of monetary investment, and there doesn't seem to be a huge, at least apparent, return on their investment. Unlike when I was a student, possibly when you guys were students, depending on how old you are, the idea that you would need to go to college in order to get a uh, an enjoyable job or just a sustainable job or a career was an absolute necessity. All right. So we're going to pause this there and, and talk a little bit about this idea of the return on investment and students not believing that college is a sound investment. So this, this is connecting a lot of pieces here, but uh, Marcus, let me kick it again to you. What, what do you think about this part? So I'm I'm actually, I think you had the better first reaction. I don't mean to like punt it right back, but <laughs> can. I'm really curious. What is your first reaction to hearing all these parts? And because I'm still in my mind reflecting on how they all connect, but what's your first reaction? I'm really, my first reaction is that I'm very impressed. I'm not a parent, um, maybe one day, but I'm not a parent right now. And I could imagine, I could imagine being really worried And scare, like, if I had a teenager who was making an argument to me in good faith that they didn't think college was a sound investment, I think that I would really struggle with that. 
because and I and the the my so my first reaction was honestly I was pretty impressed. Uh, Adrian, shout out to you. For you. You seem to be take like really taking seriously what your teenage kids are saying to you. Uh, and even like I would probably have an automatic or default reaction to say, no, you need to go that you're wrong. And, and I would feel like I would have a tendency to just shut that argument down and say, no, you have to go to college. Um, that's definitely not something that I would do as a teacher. Uh, I, if students raise these, and they certainly have in, in my high school class, or they, if students start talking about how they, how it's too expensive and they can go make money, they want to go into real estate or they want to become a mechanic as two very recent examples of, of arguments that have kids made to me. I really don't shut those down, but I could, I don't know. My first reaction was that just that I really respected that he's, that Adrian is taking his kids argument about this really seriously, even if it contradicts a, a, a probably a strong parental belief that he has that uh, maybe you do want to go your to see your kids go to college. But I don't know. That was my, I think that was my first major reaction was just appreciating him for taking this argument seriously and not, and not just shutting his kid down. Cause I think that can be a, uh, a really powerful conversation that a teenager would have with both either a teacher or especially their parent. I agree. And I think before getting to the juxtaposition of that with the elementary school engagement question, because it's, it's deserved and it's thoughtful to bring them both up in tandem, which is one of the reasons we're building this entire episode around a response to such yeah. a thoughtful share. I, I think it points back to the point you made before you click play, which is that every year it's getting harder to point to college as mm-hmm. the justification for pretty much anything not that it isn't still a great option in a lot of cases, the best option for students, but I feel like we're losing footing using it as the reason behind anything we do more mm-hmm. and more. And we've talked about this at times, whether it was the cost of college, whether it was the outcomes that come as a result of the cost of college, we have more people getting degrees, which inherently makes the degrees less valuable in certain ways uh, in terms of more people having them. You have the the online education, kind of like the watering down of certain aspects of college, potentially, depending on where you're getting it from. And that's Mm -hmm. not a critique of all online education schools, just to name that. Uh, Then there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of that investment in college. And I have more students now, at least in my current school, who will talk about, hey, I'm not going to spend X number of dollars. Like they're seeing it clear eyed. A lot of times it's, hey, I'm going to, the community college route, more students are saying, like, if I can get that for free, I don't care about the name of wherever I'm going to end up spending those first two years there because it's getting kind of almost ludicrous, the price that you pay just for the name. And yes, mm-hmm. of course, there is that elite window where if you can cross that bar, that name does have value. And even if it's shrinking at times, it does have value. But that doesn't apply to the vast majority of students who go into higher education. And I think we have a problem going back to teachers at the high school level, especially of using college as the catch-all like, Oh, you have this, you know, carrot hanging out here that I can pretty much say anything we're doing is to prepare you for that. And at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you made the point better than I have here 
and a lot more efficiently that at the end of the day, we are responsible for making what we are doing in the classroom purposeful in the now and in the present. And we need to stop using forward-looking arguments as often as we do because that furthers the disillusionment. It doesn't fix it. So that, yeah. That's my reaction. Kind of lines up with you, but thoughts on that or other parts that you want to respond to? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is this is hard. This is it's really hard. This is like a cultural and beliefs and mindset conversation around, you know, what are we? How are you framing your content, either to a fifth grader or to an eighth grader or to a kid who's about to go to college? I mean, I think what. I think the you know the reason why if we come back to the reason why teachers and parents are so invested in college is because it has been traditionally seen as like a ticket to a pretty comfortable and secure life where you can pay your bills and you can have groceries like I mean I don't know I think it I think that security the life security is the reason why people are so invested in college. And if it is becoming true, which I don't, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not going to say whether I know it is true or not, but like certainly there's a feeling out there that you can have that security easier now than uh, easier now without a college degree than, than it used to be. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any really profound thoughts on this other than to say like, we yeah we should be frame i feel like we should be framing content and framing our problems in terms of you're going to have this skill you're going to have this ability that you can take that you can take with you and do something with whether or not it's for college i i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense here no i think you're right and i think it might not be that there's better ways to create stability in career without college now as much as the the security and stability that used to come with a college degree yeah partly because of like the different you know cost differences and like the gates that prevented people from going at times uh that stability is withering mm-hmm. and careers and like that that ironclad path of oh if i do this i'm guaranteed this outcome that's fading so i think that's the the rationale for spending so much for college or putting so many eggs in that basket has at least gone down. It doesn't mean it's gone by any means, but it's definitely gone down and it seems like it's trending further that direction. And for me, going back to my point though, I feel like we need to scrutinize the practices we use in education, both at the you know systemic level, in our classrooms, building level. And we can't just say, oh, we do this too because that's what colleges do. And that's mm-hmm. the same thing, by the way, middle schools to high school, fifth grade to middle school, because an example is, uh, think about final exams. Like we have to have these big, you know, cumulative exams. Why? Are they, mm-hmm. are they is that what's best for student learning? Is that a way for students, do students learn from those exams or do they just take them mm-hmm. and then forget everything and we record the grades to get them prepared for this mm-hmm. conceptual college thing? We need to judge now. If you think that that is the best practice for student learning and well being, then let's do it. But we can't use the justification as much as we have and currently do that college is why we are doing this practice. Because, mm-hmm. one, colleges are changing too. Colleges don't look the same as they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But, two, 
fewer kids are going to college and fewer kids are getting a positive experience at a college. I feel like that we can say for sure uh, in terms of having this, the, uh, the traditional pathway of college that we might have in mind. So that being the case, we need to do a better job justifying what we're doing in the classroom based on what's best in the now for student learning and well-being. That's kind yeah. of my reaction to this. Is that fair? Totally. Totally. I have some other thoughts, but I think they, um, I mean, the, the next part, Adrian gets more, a little bit more into the money aspect, right? And so there's a clear link between money and security. Um, and we can, yeah, let's play that and then we'll come back. I know with my own teenagers, they're finding that more and more challenging. The problem is, is that they don't see much of an alternative, you know, um, being 2023, uh, many of them see the idea of young entrepreneurship and um, the idea of starting their own business, but all of those are very abstract and almost seem like pipe dreams. Um, you know, it almost seems easier for them to become a influencer on social media than it would be to start their own business. So I think these two things are related somehow. I think that um, as a society, people have become disillusioned with public education. And I think uh, at least my job um, as a fifth grade teacher is trying to help students uh, see value in a positive classroom learning experience and seeing that learning doesn't have to be the same as it was pre-pandemic or even, you know, 100 years ago, that uh, creating a sustainable and positive and equitable learning experience um, has more value to them because then I think going off into middle school and high school, that will help them design their own learning experiences, whatever that looks like post high school, whether that means online learning or doing some sort of trainings to develop a trade or going to a trade school or learning to uh, do something in order to start their own business. So just a couple of thoughts. I appreciate uh, the podcast. I really love it. Thanks a lot. Um, so that's it. And number one, Adrian, thank you for such a great and thoughtful response. Clearly it's given us a lot to talk about. Um, I will, the thing that sticks out to me there is the idea of designing your own learning experiences, right? Like to me, that's a very transferable thing. That's very empowering. And if students have the ability to problem solve really well, that can be really, really transferable in and outside of college. But he hits on the idea of value and money and, you know, becoming a social media influencer as a pipe dream. There's a lot here. So what, what did you think about, especially listening about or listening to the, this discussion of money and value? The point here that I'll, I don't necessarily see eye to eye with respectfully, of course, is I don't think the public is disillusioned with education. Uh, mm. I think that there was some shaken uh, foundations over the last several years. I think just overall, there's a general disillusionment with like institutions and like broader scale. But like survey after survey shows, you ask people, how do they feel about education? They're all frustrated. Then you ask them, how do they feel about your own kids, teachers, your own local community school? Those numbers are still holding pretty high. So I'm not going to necessarily, at least on my end, you know, wave the white flag on public sentiment around public education. And I'll also add in like my own anecdotes is like when I talked to, and this is like 12 years of teaching, uh, mm -hmm. like this has not been a change, is 
almost all the time when I'm having conversations with you know families and students, etc. There's so much positive. There's so much good. And there's so much conviction of like, this still matters. You go to graduations and like you see families and they believe this matters. They care deeply mm-hmm. about being their kid across the stage. So I don't at least want to fall into the trap that is our current media narrative and a lot of you know ill-intended narratives around education. And I'm not saying that that's what you were saying, Adrian, in this response that you shared. But I think that the value of public education is still there deeply. I just think we have dropped the ball in terms of making what we're doing transferable. And then we're getting a little bit further and further away each year. And I think the college conversation trickles all the way down to high school, but all the way down to fifth grade, where it's on us. Like we need to make public education and what we're doing in our classrooms immediately transferable, not 10 years from now, like skills that matter, no matter the pathway. And I think that's happening. Like, I I think sometimes one of my biggest annoyances is when they say like, oh, all they're doing in public education is getting them ready for like the four core subject areas to like test prep and get ready for college. That's happening too much still. But there are incredible C-Tech programs and career education Mm -hmm. programs going on and partnerships with trade schools and community colleges. Like, I think in the last two decades, public education has gotten a lot better at doing those things. And we just haven't messaged it well. And we haven't made that a big part of our priority because we're spending so much time with the AP conversation and the you know right. the elite college conversation. So maybe I'm the optimist here. I know it's not always like the the hat I wear on this podcast, but I feel like we're doing a lot of good things. There's reasons to be positive, but there's still a barrier, which is named here, that leads to the disillusionment. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I certainly think that I would not still be in the class like. Uh, the value of public education is like uh, definitional towards the my core values. So yeah, I think um, for sure I'm with you on that. One of the, I mean the thing that this last point has me thinking about, and you named it a little bit, is prestige. I mean, what I think is going on here is there's been, I think there's simultaneously been like a huge appetite and a huge belief and value in the idea of public education and also the myth also people getting angry and upset and feeling a legitimate sense of disillusion around the idea of a better name college is going to be is somehow better automatically um the content that you learn the skills that you learn in these college in in any college whether it's your a community college or a local state school i mean if you have a if you have a good professor and you have a positive learning environment and people who are really curious i mean that's the ball game right there and it, and and that learning experience will be powerful and amazing and enriching no matter what the name of the institution is that you're attending and i think i feel like some of this is people realizing that more and saying wait a minute if i if i pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to this ivy league school that return on investment i think is is questionable like should be legitimately questioned um versus you know a cheaper or perhaps even free public education or public state school that you have a massive scholarship to so I think there's definitely something that's tied into the money and prestige conversation that is mismatched with a lot of our 
ideas about like the inherent value of education and, and why it is important to have. Yeah. And I know we're getting close to the end of this, but just to, I also think of this as a call to action for teachers mm-hmm. in terms of holding yourself accountable to purpose in the present and purpose beyond the traditional college pathway. So what you're doing in your classroom has to be more broadly purposeful. I'm just gave, and I think sometimes it's teachers, we get put in spots where we have to make choices and the system doesn't support us making the right choices. And I'm going to give just a quick example. I won't go too long is like just happened in the last couple of days in our classroom. And, you know, this is an AP class where you could make the argument that this is the wrong choice because we wasted half a class period that could have been test prep, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that wouldn't have been valuable, but some people could push back against that because uh, of the college credit that's rewarded for the AP exam. Instead, we went to the library. They had just written narrative poems to practice skills in part. And this, the skill of the day, like our essential question is, what does affirmation look like? And we talked and normed about what it means to give affirming feedback, feedback that makes people feel seen and valued. And we talked as a class and reflected afterwards on whether or not they felt like confident in receiving authentic affirming feedback and giving it to others. And we had a conversation, a very real one, about in life, in the moment, not just down the road, your ability to affirm people around you and to be affirmed and accept affirmation from people around you, that impacts your day-to-day. And we probably should spend a lot more time in school talking about those things too. I made the choice as a teacher to center that conversation instead of doing some traditional college prep. And I think as teachers, we have those opportunities. And maybe you disagree with me, respectfully, I hope, But I, at the deepest, every bone in my body believes that's the right way to spend our class today. And based on the feedback from students, it was an incredibly positive experience, not just in terms of them enjoying themselves and being engaged, but feeling like they walked out of class today with something purposeful that matters. And I feel like that's the bar we need to hold ourselves to do as teachers. Not will this matter 10 years from now, not will this matter on some college application down the road, but is this meaningful to my path forward as a person, my curiosity, my ability to be a good citizen, to engage with different perspectives. And that's the call to action I get from your response, Adrian, is that that's what we need to use as a mirror towards our own practices and choices as educators. Rant over for a Friday evening after a long week. It's no rant. I I love it. I I subscribe wholeheartedly. I, I don't disagree at all. I think those moments are essential. They're essential to ensuring that the some of the more discrete mechanical skills are enduring and stay with a student like if you don't have that moment of pride and affirmation and joy in your work no matter what grade you're in you're yeah that stuff must happen and i totally agree that we don't um spend as much time on it as we should so i love that i think that's a great stopping point um marcus it's really good to see you. I'm excited. Hopefully, and hopefully this year we'll be a little, we'll be able to sync up a little bit more. No, for sure. And uh, again, our gratitude to Adrian for essentially giving us a framework for an entire episode and conversation yeah. that has me still thinking a thousand things beyond it. Uh, if for other listeners, please jo- join in. Like, if, and it could be as like a specific question, uh, a topic that you'd like, a response to something we've said. Because you I mean. Lord knows I, I disagree with Jim. Jim disagrees with me, but I'm sure there are listeners out there who have different points. And if you want to share them, we'd love to bring them on and use them as ways to keep this conversation going. 
Uh, what's the link, Jim, to make that share? Yeah, I'll link this in the show notes, but it's um, it's called fanlist.com. It used to be called Pod Inbox, but uh, it's called fanlist.com. I'll link it in the episode, and if you're on the Substack, it'll the link will be clear for where you. It's pretty easy. You go in, click record, and hit a post. And we, yeah, we would love to hear from from a bunch of other people because this is really fun. Adrian, I echo Marcus's thoughts here. Thank you very much for sending this in and uh, gave us a lot to think about. Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation, and obviously, uh, we got more to come in the year 2024 and ahead. So yeah, take care. And we got to get those Delaware people. Do we have? Yeah. We, we've you, we got Wyoming. We got Wyoming, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, we kind of buried the lead all the way to the end. Like yeah, we have yeah, subscribers from Wyoming, and if you are listening from Wyoming. The amount of joy you brought me when I looked at the map and saw that the Wyoming square was filled in, there are not words to articulate how much enthusiasm I had in that moment. Texted Jim immediately, like, like, Uh that is a big update. We do not have Delaware yet, but that's like a little small state on the map, so it doesn't visually harm me as well. So we're we're currently at 49 states and 42 other countries. But if, so if you know someone from Delaware. Is Delaware the last state? Delaware's the last state. So that wow. would get us out of 50, which would be a pretty cool thing. Uh, again, and that's pretty much, I, I basically, I, again, my gratitude to Adrian first and foremost, but then of course to our Wyoming subscribers. Cause you know, yeah. it was a long week. It was a good week of school coming back from break, but that made my Friday that much better. So thank you for joining. And we're welcome to the yeah. community. We love to have welcome. You. Look, each of us, Marcus, each of us finds our own happiness in different ways. And for you, it's looking at the podcast subscriber map of the United States. And I'm I'm really happy that we could pull Wyoming out for you. I, I that's great. I'm I'm happy for you. It's great. Have you been to Wyoming? I I, 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 <laughs> I have. Yeah. I've had a good time. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. well, I think we I think we've overstayed our welcome here, but this was fantastic. Adrian, thank you once again for a great uh, a great share and, and a good episode and uh, we'll see the rest of you the next time we connect, which hopefully won't be won't be too long. So take care, everyone. Good luck with your semester exams or your, the, the start of your second semester. Uh, and we will hear from you next time. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written, hosted, and produced by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mares. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available on Spotify. You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized, on Instagram at banduncivilized, and online at uncivilizedtom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with Tom, just like I do. Thanks to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. You can leave us an audio message at podinbox.com slash brokencopier. We might be able to respond and feature it in the next episode. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy 
towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.